Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Yeah, But Are You Happy? The audio quality is going to improve in just a sec. I just want to let you guys know, right at the beginning of this episode, our guest, Javi Ungo, had some difficulties with his sound. That resolves pretty quickly. So if you're tempted to give up, don't. Hang in there. You only got a couple minutes left. We vamp wonderfully. Uh, enjoy the show. It's a really fun one. Hello, friends. <laughs> Hello. Fun things happening Hi. in the chat right now. Hi. Uh, this is, welcome to Yeah, But yeah, Are You Happy? happy. <laughs> We're already talking over each other. <laughs> off to a rollicking start. The answer for me today, therapist and comedian Lane Ingram, who I co-host this show with, I, Katie Stone, uh, bipolar comedian and copywriter, <laughs> am happy. Because we have one of our mutual favorite people in the whole world who we've talked about having on the show a hundred times. I don't know if we've ever actually asked him. Uh, please welcome Javier Ungo. Hello. Yay. Thank you. Oh, yeah, thank you for joining us, Javier. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. This is, this is a pleasure and honor. I'm a fan of the show. Awesome. Awesome. And how, what would be the best way to introduce you? You're a, you're a therapist, you're in private practice, you're a comedy person, also a hilarious person. Uh, what am I leaving out here? Um, uh, uh, triple gold star homosexual, uh, licensed clinical <laughs> social worker. Um, I'm an assistant director where I work. That's all I got. <laughs> Can you awesome. tell us quickly what the three gold stars are i was afraid to ask trip? no I, I felt i felt bad that i didn't know the answer to that okay first of all this is not my joke okay so i'm just repeating it uh and and i realize now that i've said it it's actually a double gold star uh it's not triple we can make it a triple is uh gold star gay is uh, is, a, is a, a gay man who has never um uh, had any uh, intimacy with a woman uh there is a did i freeze your face is frozen, but your voice is oh, you clear. Hear. Feel free to refresh. Yeah. Yeah, you might need to refresh your browser. But yeah, we seem to be able to hear you great, but uh, some freezing on the video. Ooh, okay. okay. Angles, angles. We're getting them. <laughs> okay. okay. Let's see what happens. Uh, anyway. Okay. Uh, who born by C-section and lets you figure, fill in all the details after that. Oh, that's fun. B born, I, it was cutting out a little. It, you <laughs> born by C-section, so that means never having touched a. <laughs> I'm sex positive. I've what? To, uh, <laughs> I have never banned Sanjay from using the term hoo ha in the house. Keeps wanting to call it a hoo ha. Uh, but if you want that, for God's sakes, take it from him. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, thank you for being here, Javi. I can't tell if you're frozen or not, so I'm going to roll forward. My pleasure. Um, yes, mostly. Mostly. Um, right now, we've talked some about how Lane 
has uh, been interacting with his clients, how he's seen changes in the people he's talking about, about their mental health day to day since we've been in quarantine ah, and yes. experiencing um, potentially uh, the foothills of a race and class war. Um, and, uh, I, I wonder, maybe we could start there and see how, how you've seen the moods and, and how your interactions with people on a day-to-day -day basis have shifted in the past few months. Um, I'm, uh, let's see. Um, uh, yeah, it's been all the place. I would say I'm really as a, can y'all? Is it is it just me? I'm hearing a lot of I, I can't no. I can't make out what Javi is saying. Uh, he's he's breaking up. I'm so sorry, bud. Oh no, that's okay. I'm gonna try something. Hopefully, y'all can hear me. Uh, and I think that means we'll do it. Wait a second. Hopefully, I'll pop back. Yeah, we'll vamp. Um, we'll vamp. We'll acknowledge while Javi's gone um, that we were talking about pornography in the Twitch chat. Uh, Lane, I'll pass to you on that. I missed some of it. <laughs> yeah, like. I love this, like a hot potato. This is like on the Today Show where they would talk about like a child has been abducted and a family in turmoil. Now with the weathers, Al Roker, and he's just got a like a hot potato, got to like take the show and run with it. Uh, no, uh, this is totally of my own doing. I, I just suggested in the chat at some point, not tonight, because, you know, tonight we're talking serious, re real stuff. And I just threw out, hey, what about a future episode where we talk uh, uh, exclusively about porn? Uh, you know, market market trends, what we're into, what we used to be into, uh, you know. And then, and of course, and we would make it very Twitch appropriate. Uh, so yeah, clinical, Colin. clinical is how we would approach um. it. I think that that is a part of our shared brand that hasn't made it onto the show that much. Not porn per se. It's not like we watch it together. But uh, yeah, don't don't get the wrong idea. No, no. There's some raunchiness that's never made it onto our podcast about therapy and mental health. Yeah, right, because right. that would be inappropriate. But unless it's the designated topic and everybody gets trigger warned by the title. Right? Exactly. Uh, and I just realized now is a great time for me to say I'm Lane Ingram. I'm a licensed professional counselor. Uh, I have a private practice just accepting new clients all the time. I know I'm, I'm selling it. I'm selling myself. No. Uh, uh, and, uh, thank you so much, uh, for, for listening and for, for watching. I know we have people watching and who are joining us in the chat. Let's hear from those people in the chat as we hopefully get Javi back, uh, back online soon. Uh, because yeah, we kind of wanted to talk t tonight about, uh, about what we're seeing in the world of, of mental health and people coping these days. What, what were you going to say, Katie? Oh, I was just going to read off this comment from our friend, Nathan. He said, Javi encouraged and supported me taking those first steps into therapy. And I'm incredibly thankful to him. That's, uh, that's a little forerunner to our guest this evening. Um, and so uh, he will eventually come back, even though we have transitioned. Thank you, Elon, for transitioning us into this little two-person yeah. setup so that we can feel a little more intimate. 
<laughs> uh, oh, there, um, there's someone that. in the, yes. Oh, th thank you, Elon. And then do you know this? Uh, I was just going to comment on, about this person, Val. Is that her name? It's, Va it's Valerie Ward uh, in the chat says she oh, has uh, listened beautiful. to all of our podcasts in the past couple of weeks and she's here now live. Thank you to Valerie. If you're in the Austin area Yay. and you want to support a local business that is delicious and if you haven't been before, you're a fucking idiot. Check out Sweet Ritual. It is a right yes. by our home theater, Cold Town Theater on Airport Boulevard, right by Toy Joy. Toy Joy has also joined us in the chat before. We love those uh, Airport Boulevard businesses, and we'll promote them whether they like it or not. <laughs> Every time I speak, I want to go over to you, Lane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Va Valerie is great. I'm so glad that uh, that Valerie's here with us. And Sweet, Sweet Ritual is awesome. And then uh, Tony G. Wiz in the chat uh, asked, Mr. Lane, what would you say to Trump if he came into your office looking for help? It seems like he might need it. That, uh, boy, wouldn't that be wonderful if, if Trump actually had the capacity to seek mental help and look inward, look in a mirror and say, I need to change. I need to work towards, hey, the hobby's here. Oh, oh no, we can't hear him. I, your video is great. We can't hear him though. Oh no. <laughs> this is uh it's a comedy of errors. Uh hobby's laughing. Um, we're get we're probably getting advice from Elon on some some sort of platform about what. Look to at do. that smile. For Can you relate. hear me now? <laughs> yes. Yes. I refreshed. That was um, beautiful. I took off my sweater. Have <laughs> <laughs> you got pumped, pumped up a little bit in uh, the chat while we while you're gone? Nathan gave you some compliments. People said, "Javi." Uh, oh. Overall. You're missed. That's that's the favorite my favorite tone to hear my voice in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, should we jump yeah. right back into the last question we asked you? Sorry, Lane. I yeah. continue to talk over you. I really no, let's apologize. do it. Yeah, yeah. The the, the last, last question. The last yeah, question how, what has life been like? Was that the Lane? question? I remember you were you you constructed a really beautiful question. And I was so distracted by like what was happening with because uh, I also had the Twitch stream up. Anyways, it's the whole thing. Um, but is the question generally how has my mental health been uh, in core? Well, let's start the, there. Yes, the we do. We we like to do a mental health check in. How's your mental health been? Um. Yeah. Pretty. Um. Okay. Pretty steady. You know. Grateful to have a job. Grateful to have a, a stable place uh, to live. Uh, my boyfriend moved in uh, two weeks before core hit, so that was all. That all was like pretty wonderful timing. Um, so yeah, so I would say, so given those things, I think generally okay. There's like a little bit of, um, and I think it's stuff that everybody's talking about, but like, I think um, I have the days where I'm a little more irritable, and I'm recognizing that that is stress. I think I hit sort of my my like i had i had honestly been doing okay in terms of like oh not seeing people and like we're just in the house and i think there was something about that structure of just like okay no pressure 
Uh, and then I think I started getting stressed out when I like was seeing people out, but was still getting like messages to like stay in. That was kind of mm. stressful. Uh, and now we're obviously in the situation where we're in, where we're all being told to go back in the house. Um, yeah. So I think, I don't know. Yeah. It's just been kind of all over the place. Um, yeah. Some days are great. Some days are not as great. That actually, can I ask both of you a question? That reminds me that we actually didn't do an episode last week, so we haven't talked since Austin became the number one hotspot in the U.S. for new cases. I'll ask the chat as well. Do you feel like that has shifted your mindset in the past? I mean, obviously, like, my, I'm scared for you guys, but in a completely different way. Um, how are y'all feeling? But it's also bad in L.A., right? Is this what I hear? I don't think it's gotten a lot worse in the oh, way okay. that Austin like suddenly got a lot worse. Yes. Yeah. Also, your governor is like, if I may, a snack. The California it. governor. Is that a fair? Is that a fair take? Oh, is it, I don't know if I've looked at pictures of him. I know his name's Gavin Newsom, right? I, he I'm seems much cooler I, than our serious. governor. Oh, he is good looking. Wow. He looks right. like, <laughs> who is it? Bradley Cooper's slightly less hot twin brother. Okay. Sorry. Um, the chat is saying, uh, I feel like I'm going to be trapped in this apartment forever. Uh, trying not to freak out. Ruined my mood. Sorry, Jen. Uh, Etc. cetera. Um, and then someone making fun of me. I can't get away with using slang. What is wrong with me? A snack? Okay, Lane. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, that was my uh Sorry. Javi, are you are you leaving the house less and then and then I'll and then I'll go. Yeah, we're we're well, I mean, I think and this was the same in quarantine, like I think we would uh, give ourselves a day to like go run errands. Um a target trip here and there was uh, very rewarding for these two gay boys. Um, and so doing a lot of that, our friend Jake opened a nursery. So we've been there a couple of times, uh, like a plant nursery, not like a child nursery. Um, and um, so, yeah, so like, and it, we, we had just been getting to the point, like we went to like one happy hour uh, and then uh, went to see my folks for uh, Father's Day. And then like right after that is like when things were like starting to get real bad. And I think since then we've been pretty much just locked in. Yeah, I, I have a similar experience, I think, because uh, we, we had been pretty good boys and girls in, in our house uh, being safe. And then we went to, I don't think I've done it. Yeah, we haven't done a show since... Father's Day, but that, that weekend, uh, Chloe and I went up to the Dallas area to see our families uh, for, for Father's Day. And uh, the moment we got out of Austin, it was immediately apparent no one was wearing masks. I don't know that I saw two people wearing a mask the whole time we were outside Jesus. of Austin. And not that we went to a ton of places or made... Uh, a ton of stops, but what stops we did make anytime we drove by a parking lot, a store, a grocery store, a, a strip mall, driving by just people just doing their Saturday things, drive, you know, walking without masks, walking into stores without coming out of stores without masks. And I, we immediately were like, 
oh, we've been living in a bubble in Austin. And um, so ever since we came back from that, we've, we've kind of done a self-imposed lockdown. So yeah. we we have we have doubled down on our safety measures since Father's Day, which was about ten days ago, I guess. Uh, so yeah, we and then and then of course it's no surprise that now you know I guess kind of uh, taking over the news cycle starting around Monday of this week that that Texas is just the hotbed uh, right now and Austin in particular, which I'm like, how is it not other places because the moment we got out of so, Austin, it was way worse. I don't know how Austin could be the epicenter. I heard two things. One was Sixth Street, but the other that seems to be maybe even a bigger deal is that everyone went to Hayes County to go tubing. And then from there, Central Texas got impacted. Wow. Anyway, people are stupid. Ridiculous. You look at the picture, Ridiculous. Like 12 people looping their tubes together. Like That's not... And tubing was disgusting. I imagine thinking now is the time to get back on. Oh no, the cutting in and out. I, did you make that out, Katie? I don't know that I made that out. Uh, Javi, you are breaking breaking up again. I'm so sorry. It looks like maybe you're throwing your fists up, but you froze, so it's just really funny. You look great though. <laughs> the, even frozen, you look yeah. great, Javi. It sounds like you said tubing is disgusting regardless. Okay, now I'm leaning in. All right. Yeah, can you you can you hear me? You can't hear me. The, yes. I can hear we, we can, can hear, hear you now. now. Oh, well, you're back. Uh, this is going to be a problem. I host a show on this channel on Friday. God damn it. <laughs> oh, no. oh good. I'm sorry. I guess Hobby host Quarantine, a wonderful showcase of queer talent from Austin and I, I take it some other places now since none of us live yeah. anywhere but the digital sphere. Exactly. <laughs> it's all internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Oh yeah, the question I think we were talking about right before we got cut off the last time was just like, I guess this one also is kind of for both of you. Um, what if, uh, or have you work for UT? So have you been seeing clients that much in the past month or so? Um, not a lot. So I am, uh, in a, uh, I'm in an administrative position, um, at the mm -hmm. counseling center at UT. Um, so a lot of my time has been focused on figuring out what, uh, you know, cause the university at this point in time is planning on reopening. Uh, so just been working on kind of getting ourselves ready for that. What's that going to look like, um, for our clinic? So I've, I've, I've seen a couple of clients, um, and talked to a couple of folks, but that's, that's kind of where my focus has been. What gotcha. does that, uh, if, if it's okay, I mean, I'm, it might be confidential, but like, it must be really scary planning to reopen a school. Um, what does that look like for you guys being like the front lines of helping people cope with that mentally? Um, well, so there's the physical safety part of that, right? Um, and that part is feeling okay. I mean, the, the thing about therapy is that it can be done virtually. Uh, and we had to kind of switch on a dime back in March when quarantine happened and kind of figure out how, how to do, um, like every therapist in the country, I think, had to figure out how to start doing telehealth. 
Um, so we're already set up for it. And I think uh, to minimize person to person contact, we're gonna stay um, virtual, um, at least through the fall semester. There's gonna be a little bit of an on-site presence in case like a student shows up in crisis or, or something like that. But, um, uh, cause the other thing too is like our office is housed in the same building as the respiratory clinic that will be testing all these students. Uh, so I don't think wow. anybody on staff is super psyched about actually physically being there. But yeah, like I said, I think we've, we've figured out how to do telehealth and we're, we're doing it. So we're just going to keep doing it until it's safe. Oh, by the way, the other piece of that, that I think is actually interesting is that you know, most of the decisions that we make, we get student input on. Um, and one of the things was that one of the rules that they've already announced is that in the fall semester, everyone's going to have to wear masks um, inside of buildings. Uh, and that would include mm -hmm. in a therapy space. Um, and most students were like, I mean, of course, we would prefer to do in-person therapy, but if we have to do that with a mask on, we don't want to do that. We'd rather, we'd rather continue doing telehealth, which makes all the sense in the world. Can I, can I ask how we... Are you doing uh, private practice? And, and if so, uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, how that's been for you? Lane, let me tell you, uh, let me spin you a tale. Um, yeah. <laughs> my, 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 so I, I feel like the shit hit the fan when Tom Hanks got coronavirus. Uh, that was like the yeah. same day the NBA shut down. Uh, that day I, I had my first private practice client. No. So, oh. so fortunately, that one private practice client has stuck with me, and we're just doing phone sessions. Uh, he can't okay, figure out cool. his computer, uh, and it's fine. So, and I've done phone therapy in, my, in a previous job, so it's very comfortable for me. So, I, I've 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 retained one client, uh, but uh, but I have not been able to get any more since then. Gotcha. Um, well, I'll totally uh, if you don't mind, and this this is not only plugging your private practice, but also kind of leads us into a little bit more about you and perhaps what got you into this profession in the first place. But like, what do you consider to be like your specialty and, and wheelhouse in, in terms of uh, mental health? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, so I'm a, a licensed clinical social worker. I'm an LCSW uh, supervisor. Um, and I've been out of school now um, for 12, 13 years uh, and have basically just been doing crisis work uh, in my mm. work. I was a crisis responder in my previous job and I um, am essentially run the crisis services um, at the university. Um, and so that's, uh, and then the other thing that I do is um, triage. We, we have a triage system and that's, that's the system that I oversee. Um, so most of my encounters with students are really brief uh, so, uh, I would say that I've been having the private practice conversation with myself for probably 10 ish years now. Um, and finally decided to take the dive, but it really feels like I'm trying to just rediscover myself as a therapist and kind of figure out what I do because what I do really well is like an on the spot suicide assessment and safety plan. And, uh, Damn. uh I don't, I don't, you know, that's a, you know, on a, on a third session, I'm like, okay, you still don't want to kill yourself. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> uh, so I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, but, um, but I mean, obviously as a, uh, a, a queer Latinx person, I, I like working with those issues. I love working with identity stuff. Um, so that's certainly an area that I like. Um, I like working on pe with people around relational stuff. Um, I, uh, 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 although they're not, uh, I'll just say I do very well with um, 
like straight men who've never been in therapy. Uh, that's kind of a, hey. a wheelhouse that I've, I've learned to, that is pretty good. Uh, cause I, I don't, I don't know why I just, uh, I, I feel, they, feel, they feel safe with me. A hard one lesson from being a man in comedy. Uh, <laughs> for those listening on podcast, could be a lot of just it. up a beautiful stemmed wine glass and took a sip to punctuate. <laughs> <his last> name. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Javi, we, you've been mentioned on this podcast, you likely know, uh, we, we interviewed someone who you have served as a mentor to recently, and mm-hmm. I don't want to name names, but we do have a question from the chat for, well, I think this is for both of you. Cause Lane, we talked about this briefly, but, uh, thoughts on mental health professionals replacing the police in crisis situations do you how we've all been hearing about this how do you guys feel about that just pay them the big bucks you know uh i here here, here's my uh brief uh not so educated take on it is that uh you can look up how much austin police uh apd how much they pay their officers a lot of their salaries pretty damn good and you have to have a lot of education to be a school teacher. You have to have at least a bachelor's degree. You have to have at least a master's degree to practice mental health, either you know in a hospital, in private practice. Cops in this city are making more than most teachers and mental health professionals. Uh, and I'm thinking... Uh, it would be great if we could see trained people, appropriately trained people for appropriate situations and them to be compensated fairly uh, for, for their education, for their expertise, for their time, and given the resources that they need to properly address those things. I don't know that, that a lot of people even realize that, that the average you know, a mental health professional is making you know, a lot of times in the same ballpark as a school teacher, maybe a little bit more. But uh, I, when I looked at the APD salaries, I'm like, uh, pretty good. Looks pretty good. Anyway, Javi, that's my take. I'm a moron. I'm going to throw it to you. What do you think about this issue? Um, yeah, I have lots of thoughts on this. So I, like I mentioned, work in crisis um, uh, a lot. So we see lots of folks that come in in crisis. They're either suicidal or homicidal. And for us, I, I feel very confident in saying for us, it's a very last resort to get police involved. Um, so, okay, let me take a step back. Let me say that like philosophically, I totally agree with the idea that that, that probably needs to happen, that there needs to be kind of a wider base of like counselors that are able to respond to mental health um, emergencies. Uh, but to kind of zoom in on it, like a lot of things I think need to happen before that's like a very successful system. So, um, so in the state of Texas, um, if somebody is a risk to themselves or somebody else, uh, and they're willing to go to a hospital, we can kind of figure that out. So we can get them there. We can get a friend involved. Uh, if they're not willing to go and we have, um, assessed them and feel like they are a danger to themselves, um, or others, 
Um, at that point, we have to get police involved because they are the only ones that can take somebody's rights away um, and, you know, put them under emergency mm. detention, um, you know, to keep themselves safe. So there's one piece, right? I think a lot of change has to happen within that system because um, right now there's not really an alternative. Um, but I totally agree with that, um, mostly just because I've and because of that, I I interact with a lot of police um, in my role. And now, obviously, because of everything that's going on, we're having lots of conversations where I work about whether we can kind of continue to operate the way that we have. Um, but just like anecdotally, from my experience of working with cops, and I will say that like UTPD has a better reputation than I would say APD does. Um, but um, I, they, they're, they're cops. They don't want to do mental health. They don't want to, um, you know, when somebody is in a mental health crisis, they're in a really fragile and delicate state. Uh, and the police are not known for their um, ability to handle fragile situations. Um, yes. Go ahead. I, I was just going to add uh, that I don't, I, I wish, this is something I've wished for a long time, but I wish people could see what goes on in mental health facilities. You know, it would of course be a huge breach of confidentiality for countless people. But if if the average person could go and see what goes on, uh, especially in an inpatient mental health facility, you have not seen de-escalation until you've witnessed some of the masters at work. The, the mental health technicians or what in movies would be called like orderlies you know the the handlers uh and then the therapists the case managers uh the doctors everyone down the line de-escalation is priority numero uno and you deal with people that are violent that are having auditory and visual hallucinations and uh people manage to de-escalate these situations and again these are people with they're, they, they've had a lot, they've been required to a lot of times have a lot more education and training than a police officer. And by and large, they're making a significantly less, significantly less money and they manage to do it. Uh, so I would love to see some of that uh, de-escalation. I would love to see more de-escalation in the world that we live in. Yeah. I think the other, um, the other thing that comes up for me when I do think about this idea of having more social workers or mental health providers kind of responding is, yeah, it's just this disparity around um, I, my my graduating class of social workers was probably like 200. I think 10 of us were men, maybe like 20 of us were people of color. Um, and in, in what we're talking about sort of right now nationally and having that conversation, uh, you know, I just keep thinking about all of these, uh, no offense, but like all these like little white girls that graduated with me and I was like, oh my God, we're going to send them into some, some pretty hairy situations. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, lots has to change like in the law, lots obviously has to change with police. Um, but I, yeah, I think there's also like a lot that needs to change in our field. Um, yeah, yeah. social work is, is, uh, and mental health is and this is kind of one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately, but it's just, it's, it's real white. It's just a very white system. It's based on very um, Western uh, European kind of ideals. Um, that's kind of where therapy comes from. And uh, 
I just think that there needs to be sort of a broadening around sort of the that knowledge base, I think. Yeah, that seemed yeah. to be um, we, we asked Tina, uh, who works with you, sort of a similar question. And she had the same comment of like the 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 racial disparity and sort of the idea of people not necessarily policing people of their same background is still going to be there regardless of whether. Um, sorry, Sanjay just walked through. It was Sanjay. Oh, um, Sanjay. <laughs> regardless of whether we're talking about police or, or social workers. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd be really interested. Anyone who has. I'm sorry. I have like 10 different thoughts I wrote down while you were talking, because I think that the phrase police are the only people who can take people's rights away was also fascinating to me. Um, because if I were to decide who I want to take my rights away and you were like, do you want it to be a therapist or a cop who trained for like, what is it? What's that graph that keeps going around? Like 80 hours. They don't have to train that long at all. I think it's 800, but it's like one tenth of what a mechanic studies. I'm not repeating good knowledge. If someone has I was just to what I'm talking about, please post <laughs> I was going to say, I've always heard that, that, a, that the average police officer's mental health training is two work days. I, I could yes. be wrong on that. Uh, and that information is, might be old. Javi, is that what, anything like what you've heard? Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, and then there's, uh, at least in Austin, what's called a mental health officer. Um, so they are typically um, the officers that are sent out for mental health situations. Um, and I know this because one time we were recommending hospitalization for a student. We got um, police involved uh, and they got there. And like when we make that decision, by that point, they've been assessed by me, a therapist who's been with them often, usually like an hour, hour and a half, and a psychiatrist who's done another evaluation. Uh, and we all sort of make this recommendation that needs to happen. Uh, and we will then call police to come uh, help us with the hospitalization. Uh, and I have had, I think it's actually happened more than once, where a police officer's like, all right, listen, I got to talk to them first, okay? Uh, this is a big deal. I'm taking their rights away. And uh, and I had somebody, like, they were, like, sort of questioning us and was like, listen, we, we know what we're talking about, all right? We take a 40-hour training in mental health, so we know what we're oh. talking about is, like, talking to me and a, like, physician, like a psychiatrist, and we're like, <laughs> yeah, medical, 40 hours? Yeah, medical doctor, yeah. <laughs> look at you. Um, yeah, look so at yeah, the big brain hours. on Brad. Sorry, that's a pulp But also, like, reference. they part, uh, of, <laughs> part of their training is I do a little bit of part of their training because they come to the counseling center and I do this, like, orientation for them. And it's just, <laughs> it's the most uninterested audience. And I do <laughs> improv comedy. It's the most uninterested <laughs> audience I ever have to stand in front of. They oh. are not looking at me. They and I and I always I always tell everybody afterwards. I was like, oh, I hate it because I have to do it once a year. And I was like, oh, it's my least favorite. It's like I I'm being punished to like do a presentation in front of my middle school bullies who all grew up and decided to become a cop. It's the worst. <laughs> Whoa, whoa. Hey, someone in the chat posted something that, that uh, I thought we would want to read off here. It's, uh, what if police were required to do six weeks uh, of mental health ER intake or inpatient facilities to learn the escalation? Uh, that would be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, if it was done properly and respectfully, 
uh, appropriately, all that good stuff. Yeah, that could be cool. What do you think about something like that, Javi? I, um, I, I think I have a lot of reservations around the idea that we can train police to do this kind of stuff. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, I think if we sent them to a master's program, they, they're still cops and they're, they're just, that's their, that's their mindset, right? That's what they want to do, right? They want to do law enforcement. Um, so I don't know. I have a lot of reservations about that. Um, but, um, you know, at this point, we'll try anything. That's my, <laughs> that makes sense. Makes total sense. Yeah. Well, and I think about, I don't know, it's something interesting about, I think, I think we were talking about this last week, but there was um, a quote in 13th that was really interesting to me about like when we built our jails, we didn't think about um, like actually building them as rehabilitation centers because if not, why would we have put police in there and not social workers and um, teachers? And I don't know, I guess to me that's part of what's interesting about it is like, yeah, where is the line? Because like in that situation, absolutely, like – I mean, people are locked in cages already. Put some fucking social workers in there. They're going to be pretty safe. Sorry. This, I don't know. Which, Whereas, like, I, I feel like maybe there's more argument, like, on the tactical side of, like, yeah, when someone's going into a house. Sorry. This is – I feel like I'm rambling. It was a whole thought in my head, and then I started talking, and it was part of a thought. Um I know, I know, um, I know, I know folks who have worked in jail settings and, um, yeah, that's a, it's, I mean, it's a rough gig. It's a real, real rough gig. Yeah. It, it's, it's a rough gig. And, uh, I, I have heard statistics prior to the Trump administration. There used to be this very alarming statistic of that. There was more mental health taking place inside prisons than oh. any anywhere else as like a scary uh and th that that's something that should be scary in other words like that should not be the case like we shouldn't have to live in a world where or in a country where that many people are incarcerated uh mm -hmm. and then also that there would be that much mental health inside shouldn't there be more mental health going on outside of well and okay so that was an alarming enough statistic but i've noticed i have been trying to back that up recently and i cannot find that statistic supported anymore and the and my internet sleuthing leads me to the possible conclusion that trump slashed all of that funding so now what mental health was going on in prisons that funding has since been slashed so what was an alarming statistic really should be even more alarming um and so what i would i guess yeah what i would hate to see is just continue to th like the idea that we're not going to change the system fundamentally we're just going to throw a few uh social workers who are fresh out of school we're going to throw them into the meat grinder with very little money and resources to back them up they're going to be uh, put in a situation where the cops will be in charge ultimately and will probably be able would be able to overrule them. So you're just kind of doing it for um, the optics, uh, you know, and that that's what I would hate to see 
happen. And, and it kind of goes back to, I think, Javi, your point earlier. It's like a lot of things have to change as well for something like that to work, to put, uh, uh, to just, to, to just think that social workers, uh, we should just throw them at the problem and that'll fix everything. It's like, yeah, a lot of other stuff has to happen as well. And, uh, I, I'm I'm so sorry, Javi. If this if I'm switching gears here, but you know you mentioned something earlier, and I just keep thinking, oh, I so want to just uh, ask you this and kind of see where where it goes. Is uh, what is it like being a queer Latinx therapist in Texas? Um, oh, and, and, and of course, like, uh, I'll preface, I would say, you don't have to be a spokesperson for, I, we keep wanting to preface questions like this with, you don't have to be a spokesperson or anything, but just wanted from your, from your experience, your opinion. But I will be a spokesperson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, um, I don't know how to say this without it sounding real shitty. Um, I mean, it's a it's like the one field where you're kind of uh, rewarded for it, right? Uh, you know, it's, um, you know, the fact that I'm Spanish speaking uh, gave me more job opportunities. Um, the, uh, um, yeah, that I can sort of put that I like, I, I specifically am, because that's the, so I think a lot of what my job is too, is connecting people with therapists. Um, you know, if they're not appropriate for our services, we try to get them connected. I'm off campus. And so it's a, it's this, and it's this interesting as I'm learning this a lot more about this now and like uh, starting a private practice, but it's like, how do you describe yourself? How do you present yourself as a therapist? Um, and like, I realized pretty quick, I was like, I, I have to really like be very upfront about like, I'm a queer identified Latinx um uh, a therapist um and and not like an, in like a marketing place but I, i'm like thinking about like the kind of clientele that i would want to work with because it's so like if you go on uh you know most people go to psychology today to find a therapist and there's like not i haven't checked this in a while but there's not like a designate like you can put that you work with a queer population but of course every therapist puts yeah. that they we're going to work with a queer, like who's not going to put that down. Right. <laughs> and then it becomes this thing. Cause I get these requests all the time of like, I want a queer identified therapist. Um, and it's mm -hmm. like, ah, it's, it's, you know, I can do those referrals because I know a lot of those folks in town. Um, so I just, I, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a badge that I try to like really put out there. Um, you know, just cause, uh, you have those kind of marginalized identities and those, that's mm -hmm. kind of the clientele that I want to attract. I'm just thinking about how, because you were updating your bio when I moved here and I said I was going to edit it and then now I'm remembering just now that I never did and I'm realizing I should go back in and suggest you wrote, right, <laughs> I'm gay, bitch, with 12 I'm a very gay therapist, the gayest therapist. <laughs> well, and I don't know, I guess I was, because I think I mentioned right before we got on, like, I was curious about that because I know you also, you also see a gay therapist, right? That, uh, yes. Am I remembering When I see a therapist, I haven't seen him in a while, but yes. You once. That was, that was a big thing for me too. How did you find him? What did that process look like? If we have any like queer listeners, um, what did that process look like for you? I mean, I, I, I benefited from working with a bunch of therapists. So I just kind of asked around, um, and until I got a name, um, 
And yeah, it's the same thing. Cause I think you also brought up, I think, I, th I think what you're specifically remembering was when I was looking for a doctor. Um, uh, yeah, and yeah. it was one of those things that I had never really thought about, um, until I, um, what was it? Um, oh, I wanted to get on prep. That's what it was. Uh, I wanted to get on prep and my previous doctor had already closed their practice. And I had just heard enough stories of people just having, getting kind of like little microaggressions or maybe like little judgments from doctors, um, you know, when they're, they're requesting, um, that kind of something like that. Uh, for those yeah. who don't know, it's a, it's a daily medication that you take, um, to prevent the transmission of HIV. Um, yeah. and I, uh, so I was like, yeah, I think I want to see a gay doctor. And I, had a friend of mine that referred me to his doctor and after I started seeing him I realized that essentially my entire friend group saw the same doctor because we all wanted a gay therapist <laughs> um uh, a gay therapist a gay doctor in this situation and it, I remember too just like talking um to him and he was asking me something about like previous um tests I had taken and he asked me about one specifically he said he was like have you ever run this one have you ever run this test and I was like I honestly, I don't know. I, I don't remember. It's been a while. And he was like, have you ever had a gay doctor? And I was like, no. And he's like, yeah, they probably didn't run this test for you. So I'm going to go ahead and run it for you. Um, and I don't remember what it was, but I remember just like in that moment being like, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm seeing yeah. a gay doctor. Hell yeah. Um, fun story. He ended up uh, leaving his practice and now he's my coworker. It's real weird. Um, but uh, I think... I think similar things apply when it comes to like trying to find a therapist. Cause it's, it's one of those, I was listening to a talk the other day. I was uh, about, uh, what was I? I don't remember what that was that I was listening to, but somebody was just talking about their experience. Uh, it was a black woman uh, seeing a, a, a therapist and quitting working with that therapist. Cause they felt like they were spending the whole time educating the person on their culture, um, their sort of family mm. stuff. And, you know, and, and I know it too. I used to facilitate a gay men's support group. Um, and yeah, it was, there was just like this like sort of shorthand and just like once we all sort of like created the, the group therapy bond, um, there was just not a lot of explaining that was happening and it, and it just felt much more yeah. natural. And so anyways, that, now I'm now I'm going all over the place, but um, yeah, those are kind of things that come up. No, you definitely brought it back around too, because that's something that what like when we were talking with both Tina and Devin about like their experience, uh, whether they'd ever like seen a black therapist, um, and both of them hadn't or, or and like had had kind of this experience of trying to either hide or or educate their own therapist uh, about racial issues. And I don't know, it's funny because like even for me, like I really think the reason it took me so long to get a bipolar diagnosis was that my male straight male therapist was trying so hard to be sex positive that he didn't hear me saying <laughs> I'm having sexual experiences I regret frequently and impulsively. And he was like, you go girl. And I was like, well, what the fuck are you talking about? So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Literally that happened, but uh, it seems like it would be important, especially like, I don't know, there's so many, just any relationship, it feels so good when it's validated by somebody who has been in a similar situation. Listen, I'm on my second IPA and I feel like I am rambling a little bit, but we're all here <laughs> together. Cheers. I graduated from Margarita. Uh, that's a, can I tell you a fun, I already, I, can I tell you a fun story about I my gay therapist? I already finished my drink. Please. Yes. 
Um, uh, my therapist, and you know what? I'll hype him up, Rick Laskowski, uh, here in Austin. He's awesome. Uh, he's he's a great therapist. Uh, but I I had been seeing him for a long time, and again, it was one of these things where I very specifically wanted a gay male therapist, um, mostly because I think at the time I was working through some internalized homophobia. Uh, so I was like, I need to see like a, a gay male therapist, and so I found him. We started working together. We worked together for a couple of years, uh, but he's a very stoic therapist, uh, and I'm a, a comedian as well. And so, even, even in therapy, you're you know you're performing a little, uh, you're trying material out, uh, and so I would often you know be, be be trying to make him laugh, and very rarely got any sort of response, uh, and it was fine. We, we that was just our dynamic. Um, but the one time that I got him to sort of loosen up was I was having some sort of neurotic meltdown in the chair, uh, about some sort of like relationshipy thing. And I was like, I go, uh, I, I was just like, I, I just been rambling and then I just go, it's, it's hard to, do you watch sex in the city? Uh, and this like very stoked therapist was like, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, what, 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 what are you saying? And I was like, well, I, like, I don't know, maybe I'm a Charlotte. And like, we just went into that conversation. You remember this space, Katie. Uh, and it was like, it was like watching my therapist come alive. Like he was like, now you're talking my language. Uh, it was very funny. <laughs> so, was my therapist. So I feel kind of weird repeating some of the stuff, but like one time I told her, I, I watched the bachelor and from there on out, she'd be like, oh, and she would use them as points of reference in describing my own relationships to me. And I was like, fuck, I fell behind. I got to catch up so I can understand my therapy session. <laughs> Lane, you have to, you, Lane, you have to, um, uh, you, you've got to be like me. I end up using lots of pop culture references in therapy. Oh, tons. I have this little game in my head. I've never been able to figure out exactly how to truncate this idea down into like a fake Twitter account. But I have this dumb joke in my head of things that I think clients of mine post about me on social media after our sessions. Like today, my therapist spent the last five minutes of my session that I paid money for recommending the, the new Roger Waters Pink Floyd concert documentary. Like <laughs> that, like I, I sometimes, and I only, I only do it with clients who I know have a good sense of humor and have some interest in some of the stuff I'm, I'm into. Uh, but yeah, tons of goofy pop culture references. And, uh, you know, if a client comes in talking about a favorite movie or show, I, I absolutely love that. And, and, and so often something like that, kind of like what Katie was describing, it becomes a point of reference. It leads us some, someplace deeper than what you might what you might think like a, a talk about us talking about the Sopranos suddenly might turn into a client opening up about their, their mommy issues or something, you know? Yeah, no, totally. I think one of the things I remember when I was like a, like a, like a young uh, mobile social worker and I was um, just very, I was just, I was so like obsessed with like, I need to like read all the clinical books. I need to get like all like the theoretical orientations down and all of like these clinical interventions. And it's just, you know, it's, it's so much of it as you're just fighting your imposter syndrome. Um, and like, I've been able to relax a little bit more on that, maybe too much. Um, but 
and just knowing that like and i don't know you i don't know if you agree with this but just like the stuff that you can use in therapy the uh, the 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 grist for the mill as therapists like to say uh really kind of comes from every anywhere right it's like anywhere yeah i've had like great sessions where it's like yeah we are talking about a movie and sort of how that movie impacted them and like being able to just kind of get into that stuff and it's like you know any any sort of like media or thing that you consume um it, it's all just like pieces right that, that that go into like your therapy practice and that, that that can come up really really organically and in like a very lovely way totally totally and i think it do, i think it has so much to do with like if you feel like the therapist has created a safe space for you to just be yourself and sometimes it like identity can play a huge Part in that, I wanted to reference something, uh, a beautiful comment from the chat a little bit earlier. Uh, so someone saying, uh, I don't want to, you know, out this person if they don't want me to use their name. But someone post uh, commented in the chat that uh, it was very important to them to see a black female therapist and that it has already made a huge difference. And I got the impression they they maybe have only been seeing them a short time, but that they're so glad that they found that person and that's huge that that's everything i know you know i i'm uh half mexican and and uh javi i i i oftentimes you kind of uh, mentioned something like this earlier that like i will oftentimes try and shoehorn in a few things about who i am as a person in the first one or two sessions just so they kind of know a little bit about where i'm i'm coming from i might interject like if they're telling me about where they're from i might interject like where i grew up or where i'm from i'll tell them about you know a little bit about my my uh ethnic or cultural background and it is interesting sometimes you know i have uh clients who are uh uh latino or latin x and uh and and it is interesting to see how sometimes that can be you know, a, a really wonderful part of the of the therapeutic relationship. And, you know, I had uh, a, a client recently tell me uh, that that they had seen some, you know, white white therapists in the past and never felt like anyone really got them. That was kind of the word they were. They didn't ever felt like a therapist got them before. And that they were saying that they, they felt like with me, they didn't have to be performative. They could just kind of be themselves. And I, that, that to me just means, uh, that, that meant the world to me. I'm so like grateful that I could be in that position. And I think everyone deserves to have that in their therapy experience. So, yeah. Uh, and, and I guess, forgive me if I'm just going on and on here, but you know, something that, that also occurred to me as we've been talking today, I've had clients that I've been working with and in the middle of our therapy work together, like maybe we'd been working together for months or even a year or more, and it comes to their realization or comes out in the therapy work that maybe they're realizing they're processing their sexuality. Uh, they're, they're processing their, their, gender identity issues and then it, it has come to light before that yeah maybe if they feel like it would be the best for them and and perhaps i'm in agreement let me help you the client get with a therapist that you might identify with 
a little bit more. And that's happened before. And I'm all, I always tell my clients, no matter who they are, are or how they identify, I always say, my feelings will not be hurt if at any yeah. point in us working together, you feel like you've outgrown me or you feel like we've maybe reached the limits of you know, what I can do for you. And I always say, don't ghost me, just tell me and I'll help you find a new therapist to transition you to. And so I've done that before. And I, and I just think that's, uh, uh, you know, I, that, that I feel grateful to be in a position like that uh, sometimes. Anyway, uh, don't know what the point of all that was, Javi and Katie, but hot potato it back to you too. <laughs> no, I totally, um, uh, that was making me think, first of all, I let clients ghost me all the time. I, I, I gay dated for a while. I know what it feels like. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, yeah, I, cause I always tell people, cause a lot of, like I said, a lot of what I do is, um, try to connect people with therapists. Uh, and it's, it, it's such a, it's such a daunting thing to find a therapist. Uh, and, uh, in Austin, I joked often that you can't throw a rock in the city without hitting a therapist. Uh, there is a lot of us. Um, but I tell people all the time because like, I will have, um, interestingly, because of the population work, I, the population I work with, I will oftentimes have parents calling, asking for recommendations for therapists for their kids. And they're like, I don't want to see a social worker. I want to see a PhD psychologist. And I'm like, all right, I will, I don't have time what? to get into this right now, but like, I'm get like, the fuck out of here with that list. Shit. But, but like what I will typically tell, what I typically tell people, and I don't think it's a comfort, but I usually tell them, I was like, look, finding a therapist is like dating. Uh, you're going to probably have to try out a couple of people before you, you find the person that you click with. And it may be somebody who is, uh, who's been in the field for years, uh, and it may be somebody that's fresh out of, out of school. Uh, and I don't necessarily think one is better over the other one, because the most important thing is the connection that you have with that person. And um, finding that is, 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 is challenging enough. And to what you were also saying too, I often, I oftentimes, I think there's a lot of people uh, have this expectation that like therapy means, um, finding a therapist and then sticking with that therapist for several, several years. And that's just not how it, how it really works in real life. Um, a, I don't think that's how that works. B, we're not set up in a healthcare system that really allows for that to happen unless you're super, super privileged, uh, and super resourced. Um, but, uh, so I was like, you know, therapy oftentimes happens in spurts, right? You are going through something, you'll see a therapist, you'll see them for a couple of months, uh, and then you stop. And I think some Sometimes people beat themselves up over this, like, oh, I should have stayed in therapy. And it's like, ah, maybe not. Maybe you got what you needed at that time. And now it's time for you to find somebody else, right? After you've lived some more life. Totally. Yes. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I Sometimes I will have a client who ghosts me for a year. They'll come back all apologetic. And I swear to you, and I always tell them, when they come back, it's like they've marinated on some of the stuff we've worked like they come back and i'm like are you the same person like you're kicking ass like the break maybe the break is what you needed maybe the break was the break from therapy was just what the doctor ordered like even though you maybe haven't been seeing a therapist doesn't mean you haven't been working you know you've been working right on the stuff. And I, and I always tell, uh, clients because I totally get it. When you switch to a new therapist, I always say, you're probably going to feel like I'm having to start over. 
And I, and I'm like, I always tell them it, I know it feels that way. And there might be one session where it might feel that way. And then I go after that, you will just pick up right where you left off. Trust me. And I'm always like, I can help facilitate the transition. I can brief them. So you don't feel like you have to start from scratch, but even if I didn't do that, I'm like, I guarantee within one or two sessions, you will pick up right where you left off and it'll be beautiful. You know, it's, it's a great thing. Good night. I will. <laughs> I do. I will, and I will say too, I love that you sort of initially give clients that permission to, um, I, I had a, I did a, I, because I'm so desperate for clients right now, I agreed to see a couple, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and so I did like a first <laughs> couples session. Uh, couples are great. Couple, couple sessions are fun. <laughs> it, they are, they are. I haven't done them in a while. So I was a little, and like, they wanted to do it at like, like very early on a weekend. Uh, but I was like, it's fine. I gotta oh. do this. I gotta do this. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and honestly, like the session was fine, but I could also just tell like, they were clearly just trying this therapy thing out and they just kind of wanted to have a session to kind of try it out. Um, and as you know, you often will find with couples, uh, one person typically really wants to be there and one person typically not super jazzed to be there. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it was just so, and I found myself at the end, just like very much reiterating. I was like, look, like you, you didn't commit to a lifetime of therapy with me. Like, you've done this session i think you guys have a lot to talk about a lot to think about if you want to have another one give me a call if you don't it's fine like i don't it, it's, it's not gonna hurt my feelings yeah. if you guys don't reach out to me again um so and and i think i i think there are therapists out there there are bad therapists and there are therapists out there who are like no you need to commit to like three sessions with me that's when it'll start you know that kind right. of right exactly and it's also and, like and i just want to have... also acknowledge how expensive okay. therapy is right like i was like i'm not gonna force you oh. to like pay me you know, five hundred dollars or fucking whatever three sessions comes out to. I'm a very expensive therapist. To <laughs> no, totally. And I think that does kind of bring us full circle to some of the that the issues that that came up at the start of of our show today. Kind of like um, maybe the the whiteness of mental health. Mental health often being associated with maybe privilege. Uh, and, and how that needs to change. Uh, I don't know how we change that, but whatever needs to happen, uh, most definitely, uh, should happen. And, uh, and I, I want to strive to, to work towards that. Uh, but yeah, uh, Javi, again, not that you have to be a spokesperson, but do you have any thoughts on that, on how, uh, you know, what changes you would like to see for the mental health world to be, uh, more inclusive, um yeah i mean i mean it's that's a that's a big question um yeah i think it's changing access to therapy figuring out uh, you know i think for so long there's just been such a devaluing of mental health um by um uh, our healthcare system just the government um in all sorts of ways you were talking about sort of like some of the the, the wage disparity um b between fields um and yeah, so I think a lot of that kind of plays into it. Um, so yeah, I think it's access. Um, I think, you know, I, yeah, I want to see, you know, I, I, was, I was telling somebody the other day because it, it came up, but like when I was in grad school, I remember taking a, 
uh, social justice class, essentially, as a, as a class about diversity and kind of working with with um, uh, different identities. Uh, and I had this professor. Uh, she's the best. She's still at UT at the School of Social Work. Her name is uh, Dr. Michelle Roundtree. Uh, and she walked in. She's this uh, gorgeous black woman. It's like huge dreads. Uh, and she like walks in uh, and she, she doesn't even introduce herself. She just like looks at our class and it's like 30 people. Uh, and she looks around. She goes, wow. For a class about diversity, there sure are a lot of white people in here. Uh, and I like stopped and like looked around and it was like me and one other person of color. Uh, and <laughs> we were like, oh my God. And like, and like you know, social work tends to attract uh, very well-meaning liberal white people. And just like the amount of like white guilt that was shed in that moment could, could just flooded the room. Uh, and uh, so anyways, so, you know, I just, I, I, I think back to that, I think about like some the education structures and just, yeah, wanting to see more uh, diversity kind of in, in, in there. Um, and yeah, even the other day I was looking for a therapist for somebody and like, I think I had to go through four pages on psychology today um uh, of female therapists in austin before i could find uh, somebody uh, a woman of color because that was the specific request mm. from the client so it's yeah it's tough out there yeah Whew. oh katie did, is your oh, mic off did we lose katie did we lose i see katie's mouth moving uh -oh, okay, she's gonna refresh. We're gonna vamp. She's gonna refresh. No, um, she's gonna refresh. She's gonna refresh. She's gonna refresh. Hey, sometimes we all need a little refreshing. Yes, we can. Yeah. Okay. I can hear you. Um, well, no, I guess what you're talking about reminded me because I did AmeriCorps right when I graduated um, hmm. college, which is like totally different, but also I think a similarly well-meaning liberal population of people who are like, I want to do good in the world. And also similarly, um, like very white and um, something that the people, a couple of the Latinx people who I did like chat with that about were, were kind of like, well, yeah, when you're doing AmeriCorps, you make $13,000 a year and you have to have a college degree. And that is in itself sort of like a situation of privilege, because if you're from a low income background and you choose to go to college you're not then looking to make almost no money right afterwards do you think that that resonates with like a social work background or a therapy background or is that is that maybe well enough paid that that's not as much of an issue oh no that's the running joke in grad school we're all we're all killing ourselves and we know we're not gonna make any money <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> yeah it's like you know you want people to yeah money money is a great incentivizer right i wish it maybe there's a utopia out there and or maybe uh uh democratic socialism is the answer but the world that we currently live in in the united states of america it's fucked up that yeah that there is such uh, wage inequality out there when it comes to this sort of stuff. And yeah, certain things, I mean, um, we've talked about this before, but improv, like to be able to do improv is to be in some position of privilege. 
to say, I'm going to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on something that will never make me any money, but I'm going to devote a lot of time and money to it, but I'm not going to, yeah, it's like, it's, it's a labor of love, but also it, you have to be in a position of, of privilege to really do that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like, I guess it's great that there are these well-meaning white people. I don't, I don't fault them individually, but it's like, it would be great if other uh, communities could say, yeah, you know, my life is going so well, I want to give back to the greater good. You know, it's like, it's kind of hard to think about, yeah, I want to give back to the greater good when you are food insecure, when you're worried about where your next meal is going to come from and you're, you don't maybe don't have the resources to get that bachelor's degree in the first place. So any, anyway, yeah, there are just a lot of problems with the system. You know, you know, one, one thing that gives me hope is there is such a, there's a very underseen documentary that came out a few years ago called where to invade next. It was a Michael Moore documentary. I don't know if anyone saw this, but he basically it, up, yeah. it it i think it is the it is the michael moore documentary for people who don't like michael moore or whatever it is such a great documentary it's got a very simple premise he he says america is ranked very poorly in all these different categories like our healthcare system sucks our education system sucks our prison system sucks he just goes to all the countries that are number one at all of those individual things and Mm -hmm. is able to kind of address what's the big difference what is it that they're doing that we are not doing and it out of most of the documentaries that i've seen lately it gives me hope us know it lets us as america know that um we often i think look at at our country maybe with blinders on and it's like we don't have to invent anything other countries are doing it like country figured a lot of this shit out we just need to open our minds up and say hey that works we could apply it here we could end mass incarceration we could treat people with human dignity we could improve the education system uh anyway now i'm off on a complete tirade do you guys hear a beeping in my apartment (laughs) i do okay hold on i have a question i want to ask you but y'all talk while i figure out what the fuck's going on sure sure oh now's where i can say hi to chris mckeever hi chris mckeever he's in the chat he said he addressed me and I didn't get McKeeves? a chance to really say anything. McKeeves, two kids in a big coat. He's the he's he's the king of oh. Twitch. K- Katie, did you address the hey, beeping? It was I when I got my beer, I left the fridge door cracked. So now I know that the fridge door does that beeping thing. That's nice. That's a nice that's a nice quality. That's an expensive fridge. It was here when we moved in. It's a good future. Um a question I have, I feel like maybe the most, I like the iconic discussion we've had for the past few weeks is, is um, uh, Tina Louise, who was our guest last week, shared about the time she saw a white therapist and was trying to talk about some of the issues that she felt with discrimination. And they said, I get it. I'm Irish. Um, hmm? Very 
like funny to say <laughs> to say out loud, but horrifying to happen. I'm so sorry, Tina, that that happened to you. But I think you know it's interesting talking to you guys. You're both coming from this perspective of having um, family from a Latinx background, which is obviously uh, way more legitimate in terms of um, like actually having faced oppression and um, prejudice in your day to day lives, but also being so distant from the black experience and um, just, just sort of reflecting, especially for you, Javi, I'm sure you work with some black students. Are there any tools or resources that you've read that you feel have been helpful? Um, I, I guess I'm just trying to think about like, if you're trying to help somebody through a problem that is stemming from identity, do you have any particular resources that you've appreciated? Um, in getting you there is that a question yeah i don't know if there are particular resources I, you know i think there's this like um this school of thought right where like uh and it's like an older school of thought where like there's these books on like how to work with african-american clients uh and it, and, it, and it, i don't know it gets very um uh, academic about um uh, uh, you know about culture and, and and different folks as culture and I, you know i don't know i get nervous about that stuff because it's just like okay i read this book i know what i'm doing i know how to reference these things right it's very close to like it borders on like approaching a black client and being like i'm down uh we can have this uh conversation right uh and so i try not to you know really operate from that place and it's a it's a thin line to uh, to walk right because it's uh, you know it's encountering somebody and then um not asking them to educate you but on some level you're asking everybody to educate you right because i need to know in order to work with you effectively, I need to know about your specific life. And I do not want to make assumptions about your culture or your upbringing or what that looked like. So there's like an aspect there of like that stuff that you need to share with me. Um, but I think the broader answer to that is, um, yeah, it's, you know, having a diverse group of friends. It's, um, you know, uh, taking in media that's not all um, just like white media. Um, and, and, you know, and just, you know, not letting that guide anything or guide any conversations that I'm having with any particular clients of certain um, uh, backgrounds, but it's there. It's just, you know, it's information that's there and, and, and might be called upon. So, so, yeah, I don't know if that's a great answer, but... No, that's my final answer. Yeah, I, we're really, I'm just looking to start a convo. And I think that's, I mean, your answer is like humanize every person and make every viewpoint legitimate to yourself by consuming it. And I think that's as good an answer as any. Um, yeah. And uh, I think it's I also think that... I think it's also like what um uh, what Lane was talking about in terms of like sometimes you like recognize this point of like yeah you're having to do a lot of educating with me. I'm wondering if like maybe I'm not the best fit, right? <laughs> um yeah. and uh, uh yeah, and then just and being able to to sort of uh, open that door for them. Uh I think that's a really cool f thing uh I um I 
uh, listen, therapists are great people. Uh, they're some of the most annoying people in the world to me. I know I'm one of them. Uh, Lane, you're excluded from this. I love you. Um, but uh, they are, uh, they're, they're, they're an emotional, touchy-feely people. And <laughs> there's like every meeting that I've had to be in. And like last Friday, I went to a uh, online symposium uh, for supervision. And uh, so it was like 200 therapists on this Zoom call. Um, and like every meeting, not just there, but everywhere that I go starts with, uh, I just want to acknowledge that it's hard that we're not doing this in person, uh, and that we're not, uh, together sharing the same space. Uh, and so there's like, I feel like in the field, there's this, there's a lot of like lamenting of like the loss of like in-personness, but like, I don't know, I'm trying to be an optimist, maybe a millennial, but like, there's also like a lot of very cool advantages to doing teletherapy. Right. Um, and it's like, you know, yeah. Talking, I was that client that I was trying to find a therapist for. I was like, listen, let's be honest with, with COVID right now, it's going to be teletherapy for a while. So you're not bound to Austin. Um, you know, we can look all over Texas to try to find somebody that really kind of meets the needs that you're looking for. Um, and yeah. so I think that's been nice. Uh, and I think about like, you know, um, people who are in rural areas, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of therapists who've worked in small towns and it's wild because it's like your client base, uh, all know each other and know you, right. Um, and that, uh, makes things very strange. I can only imagine. Uh, I think I, I, I've had a little bit of that just working with gay men, but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> No, that that's awesome, and, and Javi, the the chat is blowing up right now. People love uh, meeting with uh, therapists, meeting with mental health professionals via telehealth. A lot of everyone people are saying they love Zoom, and and in my experience, I have been so grateful that we live in a in a world that uh, as as fucked up as things are. We have video chat, we have Zoom, we have FaceTime, we have the phone when all else fails. Uh, and and I, so many of my clients have embraced it. So many of my clients really have, have loved it. I think it's been such a wonderful alternative. I, I can honestly say I don't, I don't miss it that much. I mean, considering the the risks involved of, of people going back to physical offices, I'm I am so in the camp of however long I need to do telehealth, it, it's working great. Clients seem to to love it, and you know I I work with a lot of people on anxiety, and so many people are like, this is great. Like I don't have to yeah. leave the house. I don't have to go into a boring medical building and navigate a, a, a crowded parking garage. I get to just do this from my living room or, or a lot of people will do their session on the phone and we'll just go for a walk around their neighborhood while we do our session over the phone. So yeah. Uh, so, so grateful that, that we have that. There's like a therapist that I've, heard of i don't I know them but there's like a therapist i know that is oh somewhere in la i heard about this on a comedy podcast um but uh he does like um i don't even know what you would call it but like uh you the client uh and the therapist you grab your surfboards uh you get out in the water you find some quiet water you sit on your surfboards and you have your session uh and i was like wow therapy can really be anything <laughs> which is i'll say i used to work my 
my previous job was uh, I, I, uh, I worked for Walmart, uh, for the Walmart Corporation, and they would fly me out to uh, places whenever there were tragedies for like a, a, a crisis response. Uh, and it was truly like a lesson and like, yeah, therapy is not like just uh, just a 50 minute session in like a, a well furnished room. It can truly uh, be anything. I've fully done sessions in dumpsters, wow. uh, closets uh the the uh the, no, no, the no, no, skincare no, no, no. aisle you at don't walmart get to not share the details of the dumpster session <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it was a it was a walmart the- it was a walmart distribution center uh and uh, i would walk around and just kind of introduce myself and sometimes people would just like open up and want to talk uh and uh, <laughs> this guy his job was to kind of like be in this dumpster kind of sorting trash and so I, I stood next to the guy and we sort of trashed together and, and we talked about his grief response. Okay. Wow. Cool I, <laughs> I just couldn't no. picture. I assume it was a very large dumpster. Huge, huge dumpster. It didn't smell terrible. It was fine. Okay. I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm still really a girl sorry. with very delicate like sensibilities. I, I probably oversold it. <laughs> You're so fine. I, I, I'm sorry that I cut you off because you're probably going to name some other weird places, but in my mind, it was you and another guy sitting in juice, like trash juice, you know what I'm talking about. What is it? We don't know. How does this know. make you it's feel? <laughs> trash juice. <laughs> That's the new name of the podcast is Trash Juice. Trash Juice. Um... We are coming to the end of time. So I wanna encourage anyone in the chat that's like, I had to ask Javi this question. Don't ask him how his muscles got so big. Exercise, baby. But anything else? Um, I one joke that occurred, our friend Jake is in the chat. I think he'll want me to say his name out loud. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Jake, like, you, you just think Jake wants his name spoken out publicly? <laughs> I was like, did you just get here? We were talking about your therapist and you didn't say anything. Because um, you also have the same therapist for a while, right? Uh, and I know I like, his therapist. Well, we're, we're interested in like knowing more about like what you felt like seeing a queer therapist and being in a, in a gay men's support group. And he said, well, I'll tell you this. It's better than seeing an ex-gay therapist. Um and that was a funny enough joke I wanted to put it on the air. Don't send your kids to conversion camp is Perfect number joke. one mental health stance of yeah, but are you do happy? you want to see if- do you want to see as a as a queer therapist my number one uh, therapeutic intervention? What is it? It's this. I'll show you. A client will be talking uh, and they'll be like trying to sell me some bullshit that they've been selling themselves on. And it's just this girl, really? That's like my number one therapeutic intervention. For those listening at home, Javi put on his glasses just to pull them down slightly for that comment. Girl. (laughs) It's very effective. That's awesome. That would work on me. That is awesome. That was great. Javi, since we're kind of partially in wrap-up mode, I know someone might fire off a a question for Javi here in the the chat, but I I thought I would just say, 
uh, Javi, you're, you're awesome. You were one of the first people I became friends with here in Austin, and you've just been, always been such a, a wonderful friend to me, just re a really kind, uh, warm, accepting uh, presence uh, in the, the Austin comedy community. And I just, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I met you, glad that you're here, and glad that you uh, came on the podcast today. And I, it sounds like you're doing uh, one, wonderful things in all of your uh, professional work. And I'm just so happy for you and proud of you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Can I say three things about Lane? Uh, yeah. <laughs> one, I uh, have done uh, several Primo Doños shows uh, with Lane, the most fun, most yeah. fun person uh, to play with. So oh. um, love that. Oh. Two, when you first moved to town, we had we had a lunch date at Salvation Pizza. Yes, yes. I still remember that fondly. It was very yes. like, hey, another, another comedian therapist <laughs> is in town. And, and we had a, a yeah. cute lunch date. And then, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but my when my grandfather passed away a couple of years ago, um, I uh, was bummed out about it and didn't leave the house for like a couple of days. And then it was our friend Emma Holder's birthday and we were at Violet Social Crown Club. And uh, it was just that awkward thing of like, I'm socializing and people are like, how are you? And I was like, ah, my grandfather just passed. It's this whole thing. And you know, most folks have a hard time re responding to that. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, my grandfather just passed. And Lane without missing a beat said, we gotta take a shot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you grabbed me and you pulled me to the bar and we, we got a <laughs> shot of whiskey and you asked me what my grandfather's name was and I told you, and and you toasted into me, and I can't tell you how touching it was for me oh. uh, to, to for for you to do that for me. I have that that memory is like seared into my brain. Oh, dude, that's gonna make me cry. That's oh, thank you, dude. I man, I do remember that now. Holy shit, that just came rushing back to me. That's awesome that you remembered that. That that was beautiful. Yeah, and I do think this that's. It's something like that. That's where my Mexicanness really gets to come out. Cause it's like, you're feeling emotional. Let me give you a fucking hug, whether you like it or not. We're gonna drink. <laughs> tell tell me a story about your grandpa. You know what I mean? Like just it that, was very letting that. those emotions come running out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was Dude, very that's that. uh, super touching. That's awesome. Ah, that's fantastic. Love yeah. you, man. Also, Katie, I will say nice things about you too. Uh, you're one of my you favorite know. people in the world that I No, I'm going to do it. Uh, you're one of my favorite people in the world <laughs> and one of my favorite people to be on stage with. And I miss you terribly. I miss you both so much. And I wish we could be in the same place right now recording our real voices. Javi is my favorite comedian I know. One of the best writers. Javi writes when he's high, like the rest of us wish we could write when we were sober. And, <laughs> and that's the best compliment. I write um, high. I, I edit sober. Write <laughs> <laughs> high, edit sober. The title sober, of your autobiography. Javi, I'll give you this compliment. You're one of the few men whose words I would get tattooed because I don't think a scandal will come out before you die. Um... Oh. <laughs> I want to end on uh, we've been trying to like list resources at the end of the things because oh shit actually you know what I meant to submit something uh, earlier for people to uh, click on but I want to keep it uh, encouraging people to support 
um, mental health resources for people of color right now because uh, you know there's a big there's a big dearth there. So I'm going to sit, share. I I've been trying to find what's best. If anybody has recommendations of people they personally endorse or whatever, finding a nonprofit that's the most effective with their donations is really hard to do. Um, this is real lame, but my favorite murder selected uh, the uh, Black Emotional and Mental Health Network. Um, and I did some research into them and I like them. So I just clicked, I shared the link in our Twitch um, chat and I'll share that in the description of this episode as well. Um, just this week, I found the podcast, um, the Melaninated Social Work Podcast, mm. um, which I'm personally am going to be listening to in the next week to educate myself. I just found it yesterday, so I haven't listened to an episode yet. But so did I. Um, you did. Well, all I, like yesterday. To- yeah, I think Emma shared something, and I, I, I was like, oh, I'm gonna check this out. Fuck yeah. Um. And then we'll keep sharing resources. If either of you have anything or if anyone has anything in the chat, just want to keep encouraging people to donate there. I mean, we love when you donate to Cold Town Theater who hosts us because they're a small business and every small business is struggling right now. But in addition to that, please give where you can. If Elon, if Elon Raskovsky, our technical director, if he had a Venmo, we would be asking you to everyone to send him thousands of dollars. Uh, I was going to thank you, Elon. You're amazing. But I, I was also going to say uh, I recently discovered that the official uh, Black Lives Matter uh, website has a gift shop and it's great. I'm, I'm such a sucker for just like just stuff just like mm-hmm. pins and coffee mugs and stickers and they just have such great branding and then you buy stuff and then you get on their newsletter and anyway it's just so that that could be a thing if you're like me and just love to buy little shit things like that anyway it's fun life's great isn't it anywho <laughs> i love little shits um little shits People in our chat are, I think, if I understand correctly, agreeing on uh, the Loveland Foundation, which specifically has a therapy foundation for women and girls. Um, yes, I just, uh, I just uh, found out about this girls. as well. Sorry. Yes. Um, so I'm gonna share that link as well. The Loveland Foundation uh, may even be may even be the best one. We don't know. We don't know. How do we know how people use their funds? We don't. <laughs> um. <laughs> You hear me backpedaling on everything I ever say. This is <laughs> how we all live. Um, uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna endorse both of those in our uh, in our description this week. Anybody anybody got anything else? Thank you as always, Elon, for teching. We always run around ten minutes past when we're supposed to. So let's hear it for Elon. If you see him in person, tip him cash. It's untaxed. <laughs> Trump get can't get his hands on it if it's cash. Is uh, that the okay, cool. <laughs> signing off? That that should be like my sign off. Like good night and good luck. <laughs> Trump can't get his hands on it if it's cash. Good night. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you, Javi, for being here. Thank you. 
everyone for being here. Um, I think that's all. What do you guys think? That's it. Yeah. L listen to Yeah, But Are You Happy on all the things and like and subscribe and keep following the Cold Town TV uh, Twitch uh, channel. And, and Javi, do you want to plug your practice? Is there a website or a call to action you want or no pressure? Yeah. Just Google me. I have a. I got. I got to start a. I got to start a website. That seems really no worries. to me. But I have a. No worries. I have a Psychology Today profile. Uh, hey, but come back on Friday. Uh, me and uh, Laura De La Fuente and Mace Perwick. We are hosting our biweekly uh, queer comedy chat show, Quarantine. So we'll be back here at nine o'clock on Friday. Uh, we're probably going to talk oh, about yeah. uh, Batman and Robin. <laughs> Check that out for sure. See Javi the first time Laner and I get too sick to do this weekly podcast and we yeah. beg him to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. um, see you guys next week at the same time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.